Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. All right, how much did you guys make it last night into the game? When did you decide to turn it off? You know what? I'm done with the national championship because Georgia was done with TCU at least in the midway point of the second quarter, probably at the very beginning of the second quarter. Did you guys make it all the way through? Nope. Uh, went to about halfway <laughs> through the third quarter, and I said, I'm not watching this anymore. So we're not going to be But then we down. flipped back periodically. Yeah, yeah. No, there was no planning today during the pre-show meeting of breaking down the third quarter, breaking down the fourth, as we saw Georgia continue to score. They scored double-digit points in every single quarter. I was kind of hoping for 70, just a little bit. This is coming from someone that was also kind of hoping for TCU, at least to make it a close game. But I did want to see the Horned Frogs actually make this not only a tight one, but I wanted to see them win, and I quickly turned it off. And uh, Stanford P. writing in, he turned it off at 9. Did you stick through strong, Fitty? Did you watch until the end? Oh, yeah. I watched every minute <laughs> of that ass-kicking because this was why I was so mad that TCU upset Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. We knew that was going to happen last night. Maybe not to the tune of 65-7. to seven. We didn't put it on the reel. Nobody thought it was going to be a close game. And so I sat there and just enjoyed watching TCU get thrown like a rag doll. So, Fiddy, oftentimes you make fun of me for not listening. Wes has joined in that joke, but I've been flipping it out of you here recently. And I'm just going to do it again because in the reel that you yourself filmed yesterday, both Wes and myself had TCU making this a close game, and obviously we could not have been more wrong. Wes, you and I, TCU evaluation didn't go well for us in the college football playoff this year. Well, I thought that, you know, in sports, I always talk about how I'm a big intangibles guy, so I thought that them sitting around for a week, hearing how bad they were going to get beat. You know, we hear that with teams all the time, and a lot of times underdogs do come out and are a lot more feisty when they have to sit around and hear about how bad they're going to lose. And so I thought, you know, with this big play offense they had, led the nation in plays over 50-plus yards, all the rank wins, you know, I thought TCU would have enough to come out. Plus, you know, from what we've seen from Georgia. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that in that playoff game before that, they looked good, but they had to battle back. And then we've seen them at times this season be underwhelming. So I thought that TCU would have a chance to make it a game. I didn't think they would win, but I didn't see that coming. Are you more of an intangibles guy or an analytics guy? Which one are you more of? Uh, I'm a little bit of both, man. I, I try to find a good balance between the two. Like I'm big on revenge and different little psychological factors. Uh, to an extent, yeah. But uh, more so, yeah. Well, I'm trying to gauge your coaching philosophy, but... We'll actually get to that a little bit later on in the show because something we have planned is... Intangelytics. Intangelytics. Yep, I like that. I do too. But he might have to trademark that. Did Fiddy get a damn quote on the wall before I did? He might, yeah. Intangelytics. Stupid, man. I like that. I mean, now we have some... I might get a (laughs) t-shirt. We need to go to T-Public. That is actually something we should do. We should market the name. We should go and figure out a way to market Wes and Walker, which you can follow. That is our Twitter handle. I do need help spelling it on the handle and the t-shirt, though. How do you spell it? W-E-S-A-N-D... 
W-A-L-K-E-R. Let's it, hit it. And Every thousand followers, we're going to. We're going to hook you up. Seriously, we're not capping. All right. We'll, we'll do it on T Public and what we'll create in Tangelo. Hit the follow button. All right. We'll, we'll get down to the uh, the uh, details with the college uh, championship. We'll also talk a lot about Steve Wilkes today, who is interviewing for the permanent head coaching job. And we have a list of other candidates that the Carolina Panthers have requested interviews with, too. A lot of offensive minded guys and. You're seeing a lot of young offensive minds. Jim Caldwell is on that list, not necessarily filling the young void, but is filling the offensive void that David Tepper is looking to address with this team. We'll get to some of the other candidates later on as well. We're packed. We're ready to go. It's time to get off of the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Sixty-five to seven, Georgia repeats as national champions, and this time they had no problem doing it. Sixty-five to seven, they win with Stetson Bennett throwing for three hundred and four yards, four touchdowns. Did not throw an interception, and he also ran for a couple of touchdowns, including the first one of the game, the long twenty-one yard run. I don't believe he was touched on any of those TD scampers, either one of the two that he had. And here's David Pollock. On the broadcast, former Georgia Bulldog himself sitting right next to Nick Saban, a man that is a goaded made man himself, saying this about the Bulldogs. Georgia, obviously, you've seen in the past couple seasons now, really, that they've taken hold of college football. They did an unbelievable job. Uh, this is a young football team. This isn't an old football team with a bunch of guys losing. They have taken control. They own college football. Mm. Saban was right there, Wes. Was he wanting to swing on Pollock? You know he was, but you know Nick Saban. That's why I think this is so interesting. Because you know Saban heard every last bit of that. He's taken all that back to Tuscaloosa. He was six Tuscaloosa. inches away. He had to. That man just had the number one recruiting class. Got 11 of the top 30, according to ESPN. He's taken all that back to Tuscaloosa. That whole offseason, I feel bad for those Alabama players because they are about to get after So what's crazy is, yes, Nick Saban absolutely is angry about what David Pollock was saying. But it's not like he can refute what David Pollock is saying over the last two seasons because Georgia had two close calls all year long. It was against Missouri, which was their oblique game. We might actually screw this up, but they Mm -hmm. found a way to win. And then they had the close game to Ohio State, which took possibly the best performance of a first-round quarterback's career, and they still were able to win. C.J. Stroud was magnificent against Georgia, and they still found a way to win. TCU didn't even have a chance. So, Nick Saban, it's not like he can refute it, which also makes this worse for the players, to your point. The fact that Nick Saban probably believes it, understands where the sentiment is coming from, and he wants to get back to the top, yeah, it's not going to go well for those players in Tuscaloosa. Well, also, if anything, you know, there's not a lot to adapt to. It's just a mentality thing. We've seen Saban over the course of his career when he's lost and hasn't been perceived to be at the top, he's adapted. Just like he went from being a lineup and I-formation guy to switching the spread and throwing it all over the park with Tua and some of those guys. So, like I said, he's going to get it back. He's going to tell all those players that. He's probably going to play that for them and tell them exactly what he thinks of it outside of our ears. And, yeah, so Bama's definitely going to take that and uh, use it for fuel. Was this game over as soon as Georgia scored 17 points in the first, scored their first touchdown, or was it over after Kirby Smart's pregame speech? I thought that once, <laughs> I thought when TCU scored, I thought it was just taking TCU a little bit of time to mm-hmm. get into the game. 
And I thought, all right, here we go. Now we're going to play some football. Everybody settled in. Let's get ready for this game. And then when Georgia came down, came right back and scored again, especially on that I think that's when the wide-open touchdown to McConkie happened after yeah. TCU scored. Right. And I was like, Ugh. Well, to me, too, I was I was scared over TCU even over the open play. And the reason being because Max Duggan could have scored a touchdown if he would have put that ball in stride for his receiver. That was a, oh, just don't bleep this up type of throw. Mm-hmm. That was a guy wide open. You saw the yes, quarterback yes, come yes. down, right? Because they were worried about the underneath route. And so busted coverage, wide open. And Duggan's like, I can't miss this throw. So he put a lot of air under it and allowed the defense to react a little more quickly. Than if he just throws a normal ball, hits him somewhat in stride. Doesn't have to be 100% accurate. And that's nerves playing and, in a big oh, game. That Yes, but Stetson didn't have that. Oh, Stetson didn't have swaggy, those nerves. Swaggy, swaggy. But just the sheer size. I stopped it for a moment during the game. Or when we were sitting there when they had a... Because uh, I was watching all the different coverages last night. Mm-hmm. And I liked the sky cam. And so I was just looking at their line. And the tight end when they had a Washington in at a 6'7", 270-pound kid. And I said, just look at that. I told my mom, I said, look at that line. I said, look at, at the sheer size of them. And then, like I said, the fact that Kirby has bought that discipline, mm-hmm. that no-nonsense to the program. I mean, they play so nasty. They're so big and tough and physical, man. It, it was just too much for these Well, players. I'm going to go ahead and shed some light on Reverend Herbaceous's text because yesterday he was angry at us for saying Max Duggan was the best quarterback in this game and saying that. I did not say that. I said that. And then he was angry at me. He called us both out. So it's Wesson Walker, man. I if ain't go, taking this bullet no, with you because no, I have down, been. We go down together. I have been you're singing Andy, the praises of no, Stetson Bennett for two years. Your Andy Dalton take is mine. <laughs> My J.C. Horn take is yours. We go down together <laughs> as a team. But Reverend Herbaceous said awesomeness how about that compelling convo y'all had yesterday about how duggan was the best qb in the game lmfao put some spec that's what he said well, put some spec on stetson bennett's name well rev you must not have been hearing me because i've been going to bat with people for uh say he he obviously doesn't listen to us because remember we had the topic we did was it the optics of stetson bennett that makes people overlook the, him right and i thought yeah. i would go with the guy that finished second in the heisman voting but i'm not going to sit here and say that Max Duggan was a better QB last night. That would make me seem foolish, and I would be He's foolish. He's not to say better that. at all. He's not better at all after no. Stetson. I know you're. No. Well, I, I got you. Yeah, go He's with He's a Ste- Pantheon quarterback now. Pantheon. Where in the Pantheon? He now? is a Pantheon. He is a top 10, 15 all time college football quarterback now. And so you feel like. He's not as talented as some of the other QBs, but man, if you think about it, so some of the best SEC QBs that I can think of right now, Joe Burrow, Mm -hmm. Cam Newton the one year, Mm -hmm. which he dragged that team to a championship. Mansell. Tim Tebow. Chris Leak. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so, if we so talking Stetson going, if we talking SEC quarterbacks, brother, the only one I'm giving you is Tebow. That's all I'm giving you because he won two championships. But th- not only that, the fact that Stetson Bennett was an integral part. Let's, I mean, check this out, bro. In mm-hmm. four CFP games, 1,239 passing yards, 12 TD passes, four MVPs, and all four games they played, he was the MVP. Two national championships. And then when you start talking career, like I said, his record as a starter, just there, there's so much there. 29-3 and three as a starter. 
led Georgia to two national championships, was dominant, not just good in the playoffs, was mm-hmm. dominant in the playoffs. Four games he had to go through. A lot of those other quarterbacks only had to play one championship game. He had to go through four. Those other quarterbacks, though, also did it at a lot younger age. And so That's I'm not going to hold it against. Look, this is not to say that what Stetson Bennett <laughs> has accomplished needs to have any kind of caveat or whatever. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. But I do think if we're talking about, you I mean, Cam Newton was so talented. Tim Tebow was so talented. Johnny Manziel was so talented that they're starting right away. And so when we're talking about him only having the one season, they did it in their first season with... Well, Cam Newton, not so much. I know he transferred. He went to Florida first, and so maybe that age gets a little bit bigger. But Stetson Bennett is like, I saw a tweet yesterday that he's eight months younger than Josh Rosen, who was drafted, what, four, five years ago? Like, it was yeah. the same draft. So that's that's the only thing, but you're right. For me, it's him and Tebow when you talk talking SEC. Yeah, no, it was, it was an incredible career. Mm. We do have a... <laughs> Rocket <laughs> City. 704 number wrote in. He knew that game was over on the opening drive. Uh, and the bagel guy wrote in this. Just a quick question before we go to the next segment, Wes. Um, could a young Wes Bryant block Jalen Carter? Or is he too big? Well, he was. I didn't like playing interior. I was a guard at Florida. I didn't like blocking the interior. They're too big. They're too massive. I mean, I can hold my own, but. You know, I like dealing with the athletes out on the edge. But I could block them. Yeah, I could hold my own. Yeah, 100%. And if he ever did my quarterback like he did Jaden Daniels and held him up and then held his hand in there, we scrapping. Yes, that was early. That was hilarious. Early. He getting a big shove. Are, are you getting disqualified from the game? Maybe. Okay. Wes Bryant out here protecting his quarterbacks. <laughs> now I'm his quarterback. That's and Wes right. Bryant going to be protecting me. And even so... Fitty, if if I if I'm a quarterback, then like Fitty's Wes's baby, man. Like that's the kind of control that that's he's. That's my running say. back. That's right. Well, even more so. I feel like you value him more than what you might value <laughs> running back. You got to talk to us. You got to talk to Wes first. He's fighting our fights for us. We'll go to Steve Wilkes and Scott Fitterer audio coming up next on Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Wesson Walker off and rolling on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. If you want to help us out, talk to us, send some comments, some thoughts in, you can do so by texting the Garage Door Guru text line. And the number is 704-570-9610. That is the way you can do it. I want to transition to some Carolina, uh, Carolina, goodness gracious, dyslexic today, Carolina Panthers conversation where you have the Carolina Panthers already requesting a few different candidates that they want to interview to be the permanent head coach. And this coming in from an athletic article written by one Joe person, he said this quote, the Panthers also have requested interviews with two of the most in demand candidates, Philadelphia offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen and lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, as well as bills play caller, Ken Dorsey and giants offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, those according to multiple reports. So I do, want to get to some of that a little bit later on but I I wanted to bring that to everybody's attention because it's obviously a huge search for Panthers fans and the Panthers franchise so with those four guys just top of the dome thoughts on offensive play callers here Wes including real quickly Ben Johnson Lions guy Shane Steichen Eagles guy Ken Dorsey Bills guy or Mike Kafka Giants guy 
Which one I would want or yeah, just, just thoughts on them in general? In general, and which one would you like out of the, all of those names if there's somebody that really piques your interest more All right, so. give me that one more time. Kafka, Dorsey, what was the other two? Ben Johnson okay, and Shane Detroit. Steichen. Shane Steichen was which team? The Eagles. Okay. Hmm. Uh... None of them really tickle your fancy more than Steve Wilkes does? Because I'm just... Oh, as the head coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I thought you was talking offensive coordinator. I'm sorry. Man, it's honestly wherever you want to take it. No, okay. I'm just, no, just like, yes, I was asking about these offensive coordinators just so we can Would we it. want them to be head coaches over Steve Wilkes? No. No? No, None no, of no. those play calls. That's what I said. The, the only guys to me that can beat him out will have to have the cachet, the resume to do so. Like I said, these guys are offensive coordinators. They hadn't done anything yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting them in over, over Steve Wilkes. Well, and, and so... <laughs> That's interesting just because you're talking about a guy in Jim Caldwell that has a resume. And so that might get interesting. Sean Payton isn't going to happen probably. Jim Harbaugh, same yeah, thing Wells, there. Caldwell's a guy that deserves con serious mm -hmm. consideration, as does Rice. Fitty, did you have any thoughts on any of those play callers that the Carolina Panthers have been linked to as far as the interest that they have? They're kind of doing the whole Sean McVay, Zach Taylor thing, right? We're going back to the whole, hey, can we get a young, offensive-minded guy? And those four certainly fit the bill. Yeah, I, I think the thing is, you look at the rosters that Steichen has in Philadelphia, they have as much offensive talent as anyone maybe in the NFC outside of the Niners. Look at Ben Johnson in Detroit. He has arguably the greatest running back in Lions franchise history after Jamal <laughs> Williams, you know, broke Barry Sanders' record for rushing <laughs> touchdowns in a single season. Jared Goff is a top 12, 14-ish quarterback in this league. So, you know, I, I don't know. Also, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't listening. Because the Mets missed out on Carlos Correa, so I was tweeting through my emotions oh, no. while y'all were trying to figure out your feelings on these candidates that the, the Panthers are interviewing. Fitty, you could have, I, I really threw, I'm sorry, I did decide to, to go off of the, the first segment here, but I, I didn't mean to do that. I was just going to throw that out there. But that's why if you're the Mets, you don't report that you have a signing until you have a signing. And the Mets did this to themselves. If they didn't put that out there and let Jeff Passan or somebody report on it first, then cool. But the Mets put this out there that they were going to get Carlos Correa. So anyways, all right, we'll go back to the text line. A 704 number said they want the Eagles guy. Another one said they want Steichen. Big Cat Dan wrote they want Ken Dorsey, who was a former quarterback coach here in Carolina. Helped out Cam Newton quite a bit when those two were paired with one another. So we can get to that a little bit later on as well and go to some of the candidates we think um, if they have to replace Steve Wilkes, then we would be comfortable with. Let's actually hear from the man himself. Let's hear from Steve Wilkes speaking with the media yesterday. And Scott Fitterer, um, the GM that is going to be involved in the head coaching decision. Here's Scott Fitterer discussing the future of the QB room and how that does depend on the head coach. It's unfortunate about Matt, you know, because we wanted to see him this year. Had a good ch uh, talk with Sam Darnold this morning. Uh, you know, as far as the future of that room, we have to decide who the head coach is first. You know, that'll that'll play a lot into that. Um, but uh, you know, there's some talent there, and we're always looking, always looking to get better. But a lot of that's gonna be driven by the head coach. So if you're the if you're gonna make this decision on a different quarterback, and a lot of that is driven based off of the head coach. We have heard that Steve Wilkes wants a different guy, at least before Sam Darnold started to go on what you might consider a tear, but then, of course, did not finish all that well 
against the New Orleans Saints. It was a really bad game from him. So I am interested in what Steve Wilkes' game plan is at the quarterback spot. These offensive-minded guys, whether it be Steichen, Kafka, all the names that I just went over, you know, I would be interested in what their evaluation is. We also know here that assistant GM Dan Morgan and Scott Fitterer spent part of the fall traveling to scout all of the quarterbacks you might mention or take in the first uh, round. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson. Now, Joe Person does not list Hendon Hooker here, but he's not going to be taken in the first round. Age, and especially the injury, I think, did not allow him to be taken in the first round, even though I would love Hendon Hooker to be on my football team any day of the week. So what do you make of first trying to find out who the head coach is going to be and then attacking the quarterback spot only after you find out who the head coach is? Yeah, I think that's a smart way to do business because, like I said, these the quarterback is going to be responsible. He's going to have the head coach's job in his hands. So uh, if I'm a head coach, I would want the opportunity to choose a guy that I feel best could secure my future and a guy that I feel like I can win football games with. And I think as an organization, like I said, everything trickles from the top down, from owner to GM to head coach, and then the quarterback is next up in that pecking order, in my opinion. So, yeah, I definitely want to have my guy that's going to be the leader of my team in place before I choose the next, the on-field leader of my team. I love at least what I love what Fitterer is saying because there are there are teams in the past that do something that seems pretty obvious not to do, and that is to go through the draft and then fire a GM and then bring on a different GM right after the draft concludes. Or same thing with the head coach because then you don't have any continuity in the hierarchy of an organization. And so if David Tepper hopefully can give up quite a bit of power here by allowing Scott Fitterer to remain the general manager. If that's the decision you want, cool, roll with him. I like enough of what he's done, has had questionable decisions, but I'm cool rolling with Scott Fitterer. So allow him to decide who he wants to be the head coach and then allow that head coach and Scott Fitterer to work together to see if they're on the same page and then go select a quarterback from there. Because what I don't want is David Tepper going after a different GM And then whatever GM comes aboard, he already tells that general manager, hey, I'm going to be making the head coaching decision. And then you hire whatever David Tepper wants as a head coach. And then Tepper reportedly had a lot of interest in Will Levis. So then Tepper is like, all right, let's go after Will Levis. After I told the GM I'm going to hire the coach that I want to. And the GM always has to defer to me, even in football operations side of things, even though he's refuted that a couple of times. I just want continuity. I want something that everyone is on the same page when it comes to the higher-ups, when it comes to the authority figures with this team. And that comment, it's at least at least we're hearing the right thing. Practice is not exactly always what you preach, and so we'll see if that's what happens with Carolina. But at least they're saying the right thing here, and I'm cool with that. Now, speaking of the authority figures within this organization, not only do you have David Tepper and Scott Fitterer looking for a different head coach, but Fitterer said that Nicole Tepper... David Tepper's wife will also be involved in the decision. Will be part of the process. Yes. Hmm? Play it again, if you don't mind, Fitty. Play it one more time. Will be part of the process. Yes. Okay. Part of what process? Finding the head coach. <laughs> Before we start to go, what in the hell is happening over at Bank of America? Here's what I'll say about Nicole Tepper, David Tepper's wife, who also has a very large role within the organization. 
she's talked about this before, and I believe Phil Orban wrote this piece, um, if I'm not mistaken, about her role within the within the franchise. And she discussed how she has her fingerprints over everything, basically. And it's not necessarily in a bad way where she's actually finding out the feelings of a lot of different people within that, you know, all across the board, right? It doesn't matter if you're higher up. It doesn't matter if you're lower level, quote unquote, that she does have the pulse of everything happening within the Carolina Panthers, within Bank of America Stadium. And when when Scott Fitterer says, yes, she has a role, it would be very easy to react and say, what in the hell, this team, we're actually allowing spouses to decide what's happening here. Like, I understand that, right? Like, I, I get it if that's the first reactionary thing you want to say on the airwaves. But what I will say is that Nicole Tepper, she does have a large role with this organization and she does have the pulse of everybody involved. And so I just wonder how valuable that would be in deciding who the head coach is. Ultimately, I want this to be the best coach to win and lose football games to win more of those, right? I don't want any of the L's. I don't want any of that. Who, who's the guy that can give you the wins? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely weird and it's definitely not something you hear a whole lot. Well, this is what I was going to say as well. I think that whether directly or indirectly, his wife was going to be involved in this. Whether or not she's in the building and has right. the post, he's going to talk to her about this, okay? That's just part of being in a relationship when you have major decisions like that. Uh, and she's connected to it, unless she chooses not to be, he's going to run it by her as far as not asking her permission, but just in talking and what she thinks. And I think a lot of women, you know, especially, you know, intelligent women that make sound decisions can be very much a, a help to you in, in situations like this. So, you know, I don't, I don't fault him for that. When you first hear it, it's like something you don't hear every day. So you're like, Oh, but then when you think about it, I'm like, look, man, whether direct or indirect, she's going to have not necessarily a say as far as this is what you should do, yeah. but he's going to listen to her feedback. She is chief administrative officer of Tepper Sports and Entertainment. I should not just refer to her constantly as Te- David Tepper's wife. So she has a she very big... slap you for that. Yeah, I know. So she's got, and I probably deserve it in some respects, but she's got a very <laughs> big title within the Carolina Panthers organization. And here's some of the quotes when she was officially given this title, despite her having these responsibilities even before she was named to that spot. Quote, it was hearing the employee listening to what they want, what they needed, and knowing that they trusted me to come into that role and figure it out. I just want to get to know everyone. I wanted the city to know who I was underneath the surface of the football owners, me and my heart. And so, look, I hope that she's not like, I, I don't want David Tepper. I don't want Nicole Tepper making the football decisions. I want Scott Fitterer making that. But I also understand why Scott Fitter would say, yes, she's going to be involved in this coaching search. Let's move on to another comment from the GM here with Carolina. He said it is all about finding the right fit for us when they're conducting this search. Yeah, I've been fortunate to be around a few head coaches, Pete being one of them, who's very special. Uh, Mike Holmgren being another one, Jim Fossil back in New York in the days. Um, they're all very different, but they're, and they're all have some are defense, some are offense. You know, Pete was defense, Holmgren was offense, um, Fossil was offense. However, they all have unique traits and unique leadership to them, um, and so it's just finding the right fit for you or for the Carolina Panthers organization. I'll tell you this: as far as what the Panthers have been, what I when I think of what their mantra is keep pounding if you want to go with the mantra that was created in part because of Sam Mills and the impact that he's had on this team 
this has always been a franchise that has mostly been defense predicated first. They've had a rich history at the linebacker spot. It's actually pretty ridiculous, the talent they've had at middle linebacker for the most part. That's the fact. Strong defensive lines. And even with, you know, maybe mediocre secondaries to underrated guys, it's always been ground and pound physical football teams that have allowed this team to be successful. Steve Wilkes embodies that if that's the right fit. But David Tepper's only been ahead of this organization for the last four years. Mm -hmm. And does he want a new identity with this team? And I think people will be receptive to that if they win. The problem, Wes, is that they haven't won yet under David Tepper. And that's something that if you want people to come around to what is a new culture, Carolina's culture has never really been that bad. It's actually been pretty good under Ron Rivera. Now, they didn't win. They got rid of him. That's fine. But we can't go in here and say that the culture has always been this terrible thing. And it seems like you might want to change that. If Steve Wilkes is gone, you bring in a young offensive mind and somebody that doesn't have quite the trust of these players like Steve Wilkes does, somebody that doesn't have quite the experience maybe in the NFL, assistant, whatever that Steve Wilkes does, that's when you start to take a risk and you have to deem whether that risk is worth it. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a, a huge part of this whole process and that's what makes it so interesting to see uh, what it is that they want to do because you do have to come in there and command the respect to the players. Now, I do think the players are going to play regardless because, as I've said, they, they want the check, but as far as just the guy that they're going to really feel good about and want to run through a wall for day in and day out, yeah, I mean, you, you do have to get it right. You do have to find the right fit, but you do raise an interesting question if he wants to change the identity if he does want a, a different identity if he feels like that that hasn't gotten a lombardi uh in there at bank of america maybe he feels like there is a need for an uh identity switch well and, and the last thing before we move on we, we do have some more audio we just don't have enough time so we'll try to get back to that later on in the show from wilkes and fitterer but if you're david tepper then this is a huge pressurized situation. Maybe you just don't care and pressure doesn't get to you. That's certainly well within reason because these guys have so much power. When you are the second richest owner in the NFL, you have so much power, maybe you don't care. But there are two schools of thought. Because there's so much pressure, you know you have to get it right, then Steve Wilkes be damned. I don't feel like he's the head coach. This is the guy I want to go with. Sorry, Steve. Nice 500 record with the interim tag. We're going to move into a different direction. So that might be one school of thought from David Tepper. The other is, well, let's just take the easy way out and let's go with somebody that has provided some stability when we haven't been with it in the Matt Rule era and really not too much in my era as the owner. And so I'm going to have to nail this other pick if I don't go with Steve Wilkes. Let's just take what is, quote, the safe and, in my opinion, the right decision. And I don't know what road he's going to take. You know, you could you could view it either way from somebody that has this much control, all of the control, not this much, all of the control like David Tepper does. This thing's going to be pretty fascinating as the week plays out, as the next weeks play out when trying to decide who the next HC is going to be. All right, let's get to the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, I did just want to reiterate in case y'all missed it earlier. Carlos Correa is returning to the Twins on a six-year, $200 million deal. Did he? Oh, is that? Wait, is that 130 less than he signed with the Mets? Was it 330? Uh, he got up to it 350 like with the Giants. Okay. Still, yeah. still a lot, though, it sounds um, like. But, of course, his deal, like with the Giants, like with the Mets, is pending a physical. Um, some really great news coming out in the NFL yesterday. DeMar Hamlin. 
yeah. back in Buffalo. Uh, less than a full week after his injury, you know, on Monday Night Football against the Bengals, he's back in Buffalo, back in a hospital, but back home. Uh, Sean McDermott and uh, Brandon Bean went and visit him, visited him yesterday. We saw how emotional that Bills team was on Sunday. I think that's going to be taken to a different level this week with him back in the area in a playoff game. They're going to be a really tough team to beat fighting for a guy that nearly lost his life on a football field. How, how much would that influence you and your play on the field, Wes, if this is something that would have happened to your football team or if you played for the Bills? Well, you know, it's just extra motivation. I mean, you're already motivated as a pro athlete and to win, and it's playoff time now, so your motivation should be at an all-time high. I mean, it's going to give you a little bit extra for sure, though, no doubt. I just like how 50, you know, swept that under the rug really quick with a great the best news bite that you could put under there to be able to sweep under the rug the Mets' failure to sign Correa. But I told you what? something was afoot <laughs> when he did not, when he failed to physical it with the Giants. I said something was going on. Oh, yeah. And we see it. He keeps bouncing around all these teams, and you should probably be glad that you guys didn't get him because he probably ended up just collecting checks from you guys sitting in the dugout. He's, Where did you get all these baseball takes he, from? He's he's mocked you, and now he's calling you out for sweeping your Mets fandom and that story that goes against them under the rug. I'm telling you, <laughs> the relationship, as I thought it was building back up, it is continuing to be rocky as we go on. I'm telling you right now. Last segment of the first hour coming up next, Wesson Walker. Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wes and Walker. Or maybe we should change it to Fitty. Somebody texted in. 704-570-9610. And they called me out. Lanky ass. <laughs> Where's Fitty? Get him on the air. I need all caps the show. Look, I tried to ask if you had any burning takes on the championship game. You said, nope, I'm good. We talked a little bit with the Fitty Flash. It didn't seem like you were raising your hand about the Steve Wilkes situation. It does seem you've been very preoccupied about this Correa situation with the Mets. Yeah, I've been back here, you know, working the phones, trying to figure out what the Mets are going to do next at third base. And, I mean, look, I I love that people want more of me, uh-huh. but not at the expense of calling you names when that's my job. Yeah, no, I, it's one of those brother aspects. Only I can call him that. Only Wes can call him that. I mean, Stanford P is the one that created the nickname. I don't hate it. As as derogatory as it is, I don't really hate it. It's kind of funny to me. But I understand that also you were preoccupied and then you couldn't capitalize on some more airtime. By the way, and that's what Kyle Bailey was behind the glass <laughs> making fun of you for was the Correa situation. Oh, I'm going to get so much hell from him, even though he's a Dodgers fan. They get the highest payroll in baseball. You won 111 games. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even win the NLDS. Mac will 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 tune in. He'll have some dig at six six oh eight in the morning. Like this is just how it goes when you're as open about your Met fandom as I am. Um, it reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember this, but remember when Carolina signed Bashad Breeland, and it was I forget what the deal was, 
But then the guy got cut and failed his physical. I mean, cut like literally like a laceration on his foot that was nasty or something like that. And then the deal fell through, not nearly to the magnitude that it is with Carlos Correa. But that was just another example. Just a few years back when they tried to sign Bashad Breeland, a hometown kid, you needed a second corner at that time. I believe Bradbury was still on the squad. And then it just didn't work out. You can text me and remind me some details if you want. 704-570-9610. But it definitely didn't work out there. And apologize to Fiddy that it didn't work because you were happy, man. I think you told Steve Cohen that you loved him on Twitter. I oh, think yeah. That happened. I mean, I still do love him. Like, I, I, I could see the World Series trophy and me and Queen celebrating a World <laughs> Series championship. All that is still very possible if they find an answer at third base. All right. We don't want him about no baseball. Let's get to college football. Okay. Yes, sir. Oh, you want to Bryant. talk about a blowout? Oh, yeah. Let's well, talk about college football. All right. Let's talk about college football. <laughs> we are done talking baseball. Emphatically, Georgia, they win back-to-back championships. And also within that conference that is considered the powerhouse of college football. Some people hate hearing that, how the SEC is superior to all other conferences. But it's kind of been the case. The SEC has been superior to all other conferences especially when you're talking about winning the championship and now it looks like Georgia is at the top of the mountain when it comes to the sport David Pollock said it right in front of Nick Nick Saban's face and I think all of us can agree with that especially with the play of their quarterback and just with the play overall here's Kirby Smart the head coach of Georgia discussing the impact that Stetson Bennett had with this program he's been a lot to me personally because of what he's gone through and what he's put up with from the outside noise But to this university, for a kid that was told he wasn't good enough to come back and win two national championships, and he's really phenomenal. I mean, he did some things tonight that are just electric, and he's one of a kind. He's a special football player, and he should get many opportunities to keep playing. Wes, has Georgia officially become the new powerhouse of the SEC with some sustainability, or is this league too talented and future titles are going to be shared? Yeah, I think it's too talented, but I think Georgia is right there. They're going to be a team that you're going to have to deal with year in and year out. As I said, this team has been perennial. This program has been a perennial underachiever since I was a child. They've always been as talented, gotten as good of recruiting classes as anybody, but they just haven't had that head coach to really push them and drive them in the right direction. Well, they have it now. Kirby Smart demands excellence, and you can tell that from the way that they play the game. Uh, Stetson Bennett, in my opinion, became a Pantheon quarterback. They're going to lose him, but when you look at the SEC and you look at the way too early top 25s, which we'll get into uh, probably more in depth tomorrow, etc., there are three SEC teams in the top 10 alone when you're talking Tennessee, LSU, Uh, and Georgia, a lot of these teams, uh, you know, in that conference is going to be reloading. But we know how serious the SEC takes their football. I mean, just look at the head coaches. So I don't know that I could say that when you talk about Brian Kelly and the things that I think he's going to do at LSU. Nick Saban is going to be as fired up as ever, especially after last night. Uh, And then you look at, you know, Florida, who I think is also a a sleeping giant in that league. But I think they still have a, a little bit of time before they get right. Tennessee looks to be awakening as well. So, uh, and South Carolina's on the come up to cupcakes, but I don't think they'll be going to the SEC championship anytime soon. 
Uh, but, yeah, so like I said, the SEC is just too dominant. These schools are just – football means life or death to them, and that's evidenced by, like I said, 13 out of the last 17 champions and the last four championships by three different teams. It really is life or death in the, ACC, in the SEC for football. The closest I remember the ACC getting to the SEC, I understand it's not, but the closest I can remember is when I went to ACC Media Day in 2016. I'm sure you were there, too. Yes. And you go up the escalator into the Weston Hotel and you see the championship that Clemson won. Yes. And you see the Heisman Trophy that Lamar Jackson won. Mm -hmm. And that was a fun football year. That was as close to the SEC as I can remember the ACC getting. And then it fell off of a cliff after that where Clemson was the only team with any staying power. And you didn't have a whole lot of, of those teams actually remaining at the top. Is there another way for any of these other conferences to get close? The Big Ten certainly it has. has to become time. life or death. Like I said, the SEC will pay their coaches more. Just go look at the top 15 highest paid coaches. They have coaches that haven't even won anything that's in the top 15 in highest paid. We're talking about Lane Kiffin and, uh, and some of these guys. They pay more for facilities. They pay more for coaches. They Hell, back in the day, they paid more for players. Like I said... <laughs> The SEC, they just wanted more, and it's evidenced by the amount of championships they won. You have some conferences that, yeah, they want to win some championships. It's cool. You have some programs that are like, yeah, you know, if we win and make it to a New Year's Six or we win nine or ten games, that's cool. But it doesn't mean everything to them. And I'm talking about the ACC, just keeping it a bean. Well, it's a basketball conference. I mean, that's it what it has been. But, but you can turn that by your attitude towards the coaches you hire. Now, I thought for a minute the last few years the ACC did have a nice roster of coaches that were really good. But you got to go all out. All out in everything that you do about football. It has to mean that much if you want to win championships and get on par and, and get with the SEC. So because you view the SEC as so powerful, you don't expect Georgia to 3 P, correct? I don't expect them to 3 P just because I feel like law averages says that they probably won't and they have to reload. And the main thing for me is they had to reload this year, but losing Stetson Bennett is the main thing to me. Losing a quarterback of that caliber, in my opinion, like I said, I'm going to keep saying it all show long, that he is now a Pantheon college football quarterback. When you lose a guy like that, we don't know what's coming behind that. So that's what makes me question if they can get the three-peat. Yeah, for me, I don't think that Georgia's going to three-peat for all the reasons you said. It's really hard to win back-to-back -back championships. I mean, for a team, especially in that conference. they had close calls. They, they did. They did. And, and it was still a pretty dominant season. But you did have at least a couple of those close calls. Now, ultimately, even if you lose to Missouri, you're still getting into the college football playoff. You did have the close call to Ohio State, a little bit more palatable for for Georgia fans, possibly, because it's C.J. Stroud. He is going to be a top-five pick at the quarterback spot, and Ohio State has talent everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. Marvin Harrison Jr. is an absolute monster at the wide receiver spot and really got the better of Ringo in that semifinal game where Ringo was able to bounce back, and you didn't see the passing game have the type of success with TCU that Ohio State did. But now, the, the biggest question to me was, could Georgia reload this year after losing five guys in the first round they did so because of that because they reload and they win the national championship they are absolutely right now with clemson past clemson now because of clemson's last two years but they have reached that era where we can expect them to constantly be a top five team and always have a shot 
to reach the championship and get into playoff contention. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We just visited the campus corner. We're going to take a look at the Charlotte Hornets midseason review. We are right smack dab in the middle of the year. We're past 41 games. We'll give our second half predictions for this uh, last 41 games with the Hornets coming up next on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM.